And what a wonderful day to be a Bible Baptist church. Uh, uh, just uh, I agree with so many of the testimonies tonight. The effort and the labor of God's people, just a, an amazing thing. And, uh, and God certainly blessed your efforts. And thank you for doing it for Christ and, and doing it for him. What a tremendous blessing. What a great day to be in God's house. I, I just enjoyed the music all day long, uh, 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 the, the specials. And it, I appreciate the Bible Baptist Symphony Orchestra. What a great job. And, well, we need to get some brass in that thing. You know, somebody out here has got, some, got a trumpet sitting in the attic that needs to have some dust blown off it. And, and they do a great job. My, that's just, that was wonderful. I appreciate that so much. And, and the, the labor and the effort and, and the music that we've heard, it just doesn't happen in a second. Somebody worked and practiced and labored, and, and they do it for Christ. And I, I appreciate that so much. And then since the last time I've been here, I was just so impressed to take a tour with your pastor over, over the property and their, well, a bunch of eggs out there. But aside from that, there, no, no, it, it was just beautiful to see the buildings the Lord's given you. You've worked and you've given and you've labored. And, and uh, my, that new building is just fabulous, so well done. And, and uh, just everything about the property, it just, it's just done right. And I appreciate it so much. And, and I'm thankful for what God has done, what he is doing and confident what he will continue to do as we wait for our Savior to return. Thank you for your labor. Thank you for your love for Christ. And I'm just delighted to see what God is doing in Bible Baptist Church. Now you have your Bible tonight to the book of Luke in chapter number 24. Of course, the angels have come from heaven. And I know we normally come to this chapter and we look at it through the eyes of the ladies that have come to the sepulcher that Sunday morning. And, and of course, humanly speaking, it's easy for us to do that. And, and their shock and their amazement and all the human emotions that go with it. And of course, that morning there was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, Mary the mother of James, and this Mary, that Mary, and the other... If you can keep all the Marys straight in the Bible, good for you, I got to tell you. For me, the only thing keeping all the Marys straight is getting all the Herods straight. Good luck with that one, too. And, and there's this Mary, that Mary. There, of course, was uh, uh, Joanna, the wife of Chosen, and, and Salome, and, and the many ladies had come that morning. And it's awfully easy for us as humans to look at the story of Luke 24 through their eyes. But if you ever stop to look at this chapter through the eyes of these two angels... Two men, the Bible says, we know they're angels most of the time in the Bible where God sends angels to the earth to do his business. They come in the form of men. So these two angels now have, have been dispatched from heaven and they find themselves inside the sepulcher. Have you ever imagined what it was like for them? Can you just imagine they're looking at each other saying, what is this place? Because folks, they don't have any sepulchers in heaven. No need for them. And they're looking around. I must have been knocking on the stone walls and what's that big round thing in the front and what are these ledges for and what is this place? Where in the world are we? And you know, those angels must have looked at each other with a stunned astonishment on their faces. And, and of course, we get it when the ladies come and, and they see these two angels from heaven and they are stunned. But what I don't think we get is the angels were more than stunned to see those women show up. What in the world are you doing here this morning? You know, folks, there's a lot of places where Jesus could be that Sunday morning. But there is one place on the earth where Jesus absolutely positively cannot be. He cannot be in that sepulcher. And the angels are as shocked as the ladies are. What in the world are you doing here? What have you come to see? What has brought you to this place this morning? And the Bible tells us in verse number 5, And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. The angels are absolutely shocked and stunned. Ladies, what in the world has brought you here? Who are you looking for? There is one place where Jesus cannot be this morning. He cannot be in this sepulcher. So why in the world have you come? And you know, the angels are giving these ladies, I'm sorry to tell you, I know we're not supposed to do this in Luke 24. We're not supposed to do this on Resurrection Day. But the angels are giving these ladies an earful. And I'm afraid they're not going to be the first people to get an earful in Luke chapter 24. There's going to be others. I mean, the angels look at him and say, what in the world are you here for? 
Don't you remember what Jesus said when he was yet in Galilee? Or in other words, aren't his words enough? Father in heaven, we pray for your help now as we come to the mighty word of God that you would convict us greatly, that you would speak to every man, lady, every young person. And, and I pray that even now our hearts would be still before you. Uh, may the great lesson of Luke chapter 24 become very real for all of us tonight. And then if someone in this building does not have salvation according to thy word, I pray that tonight would be the night they come to the Bible and they are saved. So, Lord, I ask you to do a work that a preacher cannot do. We ask you to do a work in hearts and lives, and we come boldly in the name of the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And for the record, the Bible tells us they put him in a sepulcher. No, no, that's what it says, sepulcher. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but do you know there is not one verse in my Bible? Now, your Bible could be different. You might have a small B Bible. I get that. But in my Bible, there is not one verse that ever says Jesus Christ was in a grave. It never says that Jesus Christ was in the tomb. 32 times if you're counting at home in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and then one more time in the book of Acts, every single time, the Bible tells us that Jesus is in a sepulcher. Now, it is true there is one time where the place where they laid Jesus is called the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And if one day Joseph had been placed inside that tomb, if one day Joseph's wife and children had joined him in that tomb, then it certainly would have been a tomb. It would have been the resting place of the dead. But contrary to every other Bible that's out there, every single time in my Bible, the Word of God goes out of its way to say that Jesus Christ was put into a sepulcher. Well, that was a stunning thing to me. I mean, how many times have I read that? And for the first time, you know, last year, well, this is a powerful thing. And so I decided to take a, a little closer look, and it really was a stunning thing because the word grave and the word tomb is certainly in our Bible. There, of course, is the demoniac of Gadara dwelling among the tombs. There are multiple verses like that, but no, every single time it speaks of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, being laid for those three days, he is put into a sepulcher. And when you take a close look at that word, it's a most amazing thing. And, and quite honestly, when they began the special song tonight, they hit the nail right on the head. Because a sepulcher comes from a word that gives us the word to remember. And that's the difference. A tomb and a grave is the resting place of the dead. It is where bones go and bones stay. But a sepulcher, well, from that we get the word memorial. And that's exactly what the place where they laid Jesus became. Oh, as they put it tonight, multiplied millions have spent their money to go visit the tombs of the Buddha. Why, after a Muslim has gone to Mecca, their second most important journey is to go visit the tomb and the bones of the prophet Muhammad. For people that are all wrapped up in the communist religion, they crawl all over themselves to get to the tomb of Lenin. But there may be people in this building even tonight who have joined the multiplied millions of people who have spent multiplied billions of dollars to take a trip to Jerusalem to go see a sepulcher that is empty. Now, it is true tonight that pagan Christian religion, if you'll let me put it that way, uh, they have places where they venerate the prophets and they worship men. And why, here's the, uh, the head of Titus over here, you know. And over here, we got the finger of John. And over here, the toe of this prophet. And, and religion does that. Religion worships faces and toes and fingers. But when it comes to true Bible Christianity, we don't worship any of those things. Or like the old English caretaker told my buddy and me as we visit visited the garden tomb in Jerusalem. We do not worship a site, he said. We worship a Savior. And that's why the Bible, at least my Bible, uses the word sepulcher because it's a memorial. It is not the place where bones are going to rest. It is not a tomb. It is not a grave. But it is a place to remember the greatest event of world history. Now, I got to tell you, Brother Davis, I don't know what we're going to do. Low in the sepulcher he laid, Jesus my Savior, and up from the sepulcher he arose. That's why I'm glad I'm a preacher, not the song guy. It's not my problem, but, 
But you know, the Bible goes out of its way to say sepulcher, sepulcher, sepulcher. And now the ladies have come this Sunday morning and we give them a hard time. I understand that. But, but the truth of the matter is they are certainly courageous, are they not? I mean, that night before when the sun settles into the Mediterranean, when that Sabbath day turns into the first day of the week, these ladies go out and spend an enormous amount of money and they buy spices and perfumes to carry to the sepulcher. Why, the Jews did not practice embalming in the day. And now the fear was after three days, this body is going to decompose. So loved ones would go and visit the dead and they would anoint those bodies. The ladies the night before have spent an enormous amount of money so they can have spices and you talk about wasted money. They're never going to use those spices. And for their honor, you have to give them credit, do you not? They did a very courageous thing. I, of course, back in the day, they didn't have the lights that we have nowadays. And these ladies are taking a dangerous journey under the cover of darkness. The indication of the Bible seems to be they arrived at the sepulcher at the crack of dawn. So if that is true, it was believed that demons spent the nights in graveyards. So for these ladies to go and do what they did at the time of day, it shows great courage and it shows great love but it also shows they missed what Jesus said when he was in Galilee because of all the places where Jesus cannot be the one place is right here he cannot be in that sepulcher don't you remember what he said when he was yet in Galilee you say well preacher aren't you giving him these ladies a hard time well believe me they're not the first people I'm going to give a hard time to tonight but but no no and I'll tell you why I, on one regard it might look that way but you remember in Matthew chapter number 28 the Bible tells us in 27 then 28 that when Jesus Christ his body had been taken Taken from the cross and Joseph and Nicodemus see that that body is placed into that sepulcher it was the pagan religious establishment it was the greatest enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ it was the high priest Caiaphas and his wicked father-in-law Annas it was the religious establishment that went to the Jewish or, or sorry to the Roman soldiers and remember what they said they said that deceiver said that he was going to rise again so set a watch and make it as sure as you can. Ladies and gentlemen, if the unsaved religious establishment knew what he said when he was yet in Galilee, then why are these ladies showing up this morning? Why are you here? Don't you remember what he said? And for the record, this is what Jesus said when he was yet in Galilee. In Luke chapter 9, 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be slain and be raised the third day. When he was yet in Galilee, in chapter 9, 44, the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. When he was yet in Galilee, about a week earlier, he said unto the twelve in Luke chapter 18, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written in the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished for he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted upon and they shall scourge him and put him to death and the third day he shall rise again. Excuse me, when he was yet in Galilee, he said as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And I gotta tell you folks, just me now, I've never been very good at math, but you've gotta be better than I am at math to get three days and three nights from Friday night to Sunday morning. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I don't know how you do that. I've never been able to handle that. No, there was another time when James and John and Peter, they join Jesus and climb up a mountain. On the top of that mountain, they have an appointment with Moses and Elijah. And you know what the Bible tells us they spoke about? They spoke about the coming events of Calvary. So it is not one, two, three, four. It's five times that we know about. And later in the book of John, if everything Jesus had said, if everything that Jesus has done, if it was written down, the world couldn't contain the volume. So if I can go and find five times when he was yet in Galilee where Jesus said I will rise again 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 then how many times do you think he actually said it 
There is no telling. So ladies, what are you doing here this morning? Again and again and again and again and again. Jesus said he wouldn't be here. He said when he was yet in Galilee that he would suffer and be raised again. The Lord said it again and again. So ladies, why have you come to the sepulcher this morning? What are you doing here? Aren't his words enough? Well, needless to say, the ladies run to the disciples. And the Bible doesn't record precisely where they are, but the ladies knew where to go. The disciples were gathered together. And the likely possibility, anyway, is that they were in that same room where the Lord Jesus had that Passover feast with them, where he instituted the Lord's Supper, where it is believed the first New Testament church of Jerusalem would gather. That would probably be the likely place. And you can just picture in your mind, these ladies have a mixture of fear. They have a mixture of excitement. They have a mixture of emotions that run the gamut from top to the bottom. And they come running to the disciples and and the angels there. And Jesus isn't there. And Jesus is alive. And of course, Mary Magdalene had even more to say. And and you can imagine these ladies coming and screaming and crying and talking and and rejoicing and telling the disciples, look, we don't even need to read the verse, right? I mean, you know what the disciples are going to say. I mean, after all, these are the spiritual giants. I mean, A few nights earlier, as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross the next day, these are these spiritual super giants. Excuse me, but we're going to have a debate tonight on which one of us is the greatest. You know, move over, Elijah. Moses, you're going to have to sit over there. Excuse me, Abraham, you're going to have to move because Peter's showing up. James is showing up. John is showing up. Now, they have a big argument about which one was. So I, I don't even need to show you the verse tonight, right? I mean, the ladies are going to come saying he's risen. And of course, of course, these spiritual giants, a.k.a. the disciples, are going to look at these ladies and rebuke them. And they're going to look at the ladies and say, don't you believe what he said? How many times? Of course, Jesus is risen. I mean, these spiritual super giants obviously have it down, don't they? Not exactly. And when the ladies come with the report of the empty sepulcher in verse number 11, their words seem to them as idle tales. And they, idle tales, idle tales. That was a word the doctors would use in New Testament times. And when somebody was coming in or out of anesthesia and they would start to babble incoherently, that phrase was called idle tales. In other words, when the ladies come and the ladies tell the most obvious thing in world history. No, no, no. I mean, the number one most obvious obvious thing in world history. The ladies breaking news. They are reporting, you're not going to believe it, but Jesus kept his word. Who would have thought? Jesus did exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. He did it exactly when he said he was going to do it. I mean, it couldn't be laid out more accurately. It couldn't be laid out more perfectly. Jesus kept his words. And when these ladies come, you know, Mrs. Obvious now, coming with the report that Jesus said and did what he said he was going to do, the disciples look at these ladies and pretty much say, and you're crazy. So what's your problem, Peter? What's your problem, John, Thomas, Nathaniel, the soul winner, Andrew? What's your problem, Simon? What's your problem, Matthew? I mean, what is it with you people? Don't you remember what he said when he was yet in Galilee? Aren't his words enough? Well, needless to say, Peter's got to find out for himself. And in verse number 12, then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher. And what we don't read in Luke, but we do read in John, is that John was neck and neck. It was a race, it seems. John got there first. Peter got in there first. John would forever tell Peter, I got there first. And I think Peter was forever telling John, but I went in first, so take it like you want. And and the Bible says that Peter, stooping down, look at the words. He beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves. You know, a few weeks earlier, Lazarus came out of the tomb after four days and they had to unwrap him like a mummy they had to take the linen clothes off of him not jesus no jesus went right through the linen clothes excuse me the word shroud is not in the bible maybe in yours but it's not in the bible so when religion talks oh, you know this week they found out is that somehow just this week they found out what jesus looks like from the shroud 
you know, it's amazing what people will give their money for. It's amazing. You know, P.T. Barnum was right. There is a sucker born every minute. The word shroud is not found in the Bible. He was wrapped in linen clothes. They were wrapped around his body. They would wrap strips around his fingers and, and his hands and his toes and his feet. Now, the Lord Jesus was wrapped in linen clothes. And then when he rose again, they didn't have to unwrap him. The angels didn't show up to set him free. He went right through those linen clothes, just like he would go right through the wall of the sepulcher just like a few verses from here he would go right through the wall into the building where they were meeting those things can't stop the Lord Jesus Christ so the Bible tells us Peter runs and he sees the sepulcher and he sees the linen clothes lay I mean so do we have to finish the verse obviously we're talking about Peter here we're talking about that giant of the faith we're talking about Mr. Walk on water himself and so naturally he's going to fall on his face and say the word of God is so but instead he departed wandering in himself at that which was come to... Really? What are you doing wondering in yourself? Where are you ever going to get an answer there? You're wondering in yourself. Why? What are you wondering? And by the way, who are you as the authority? Why are you wondering in yourself at that which has come to pass? How many times did Jesus look at your eyeballs, Peter, and say, three days, I'm on a, three days, and I rise again. Oh, and I'm going to die on a cross, and they're going to spit upon me, and they're going to spite, and three days, I'm going to rise again. And now Peter walks away, scratching his head, wondering in himself at that which, you see, Peter must be thinking, Maybe I'll find the truth in my heart. That's not a good place to go, is it? You know, that'd be okay unless there was a verse in the Bible that said our hearts were deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And who can know it? So if I've got a heart that is deceitful and desperately wicked and I can't trust it, then why do we go our, to our hearts to find truth? I just kind of feel it in my heart. But you don't have to feel it in your heart. Jesus said when he was yet in Galilee, you don't have to wonder, you don't have to reason, you don't have to hope, you don't have to try to figure it out, you don't have to put the pieces together. Jesus kept his word. I mean, isn't that enough? Jesus said when he was yet in Galilee, three days later, I will rise again. Aren't his words enough? Well, the Bible tells us Peter departs wondering in himself. And, and the next thing we discover is a man by the name of Cleopas, a really good guy. Cleopas and another unknown person, they are making their way from Jerusalem to, of all things, the city, the village of Emmaus. Why? Why are you doing this? Don't you know this is Sunday? It's probably afternoon now. I mean, in a few hours, the sun is going to set. Sunday is going to turn into Monday. This is the day. This is the day. I mean, the Lord Jesus is risen. And Cleopas, for some reason, thinks this is a good day to go home to Emmaus. I got to tell you, Cleopas, if there's one day you don't want to be leaving Jerusalem, this is the day. What are you doing? And you know, someone is traveling with them. I mean, I, I, from studies and books, you know how preachers read. I've got 12 different names that the scholars and the experts, oh, this was Mark, oh, no, 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 this was Luke, oh, this was his wife. 12 different names. But you know, you're here on a good night because tonight, tonight, I have the answer to the question, who was with Cleopas? No, this is not a possible answer. This is not a suggested answer. This is the definitive, accurate answer. Who was with Cleopas? And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> and Brother Brown doesn't know, and you don't know. And the reason I know I don't know, and I know he doesn't know, and I know you don't know, is because the Bible doesn't say so. So we don't know who it is, but I have a name for him anyhow. I call this second guy the luckiest guy in the Bible. Okay, and I don't even like the word lucky. I really don't, but I don't know what else to call him. The lucky, and you know why I call him this? Because look, folks, I've done plenty of dumb things in my life. And, and I can even remember Brother Brown when he was a teenager. He's done some <laughs> dumb things in his life. And you may have done one or two dumb things in your life, but could I give you the good news tonight? All of our dumb when Jesus comes, it gets left behind. That's a good thing. I mean, all the dumb, when Jesus comes and we're out of here, nobody remembers anymore. Unless, unless your dumb is in the Bible. Do you know, this is a big problem. 
and 10,000 years from now when Jesus is preaching from the book of Luke chapter number 24 and he starts talking about this guy who decided this was a good time to leave Jerusalem and go to Emmaus. You understand every eyeball in heaven is going to turn and look square at Cleopas. And that's why I call the other guy the luckiest guy in the Bible, you know? Because he's going to be standing there with a smile on his face saying inside, I hope he doesn't rat me out, you know? And so we got no idea who this other guy is. You talk about forever and forever. I mean, Cleopas is never going to live this down. The luckiest guy in the Bible isn't going to have to. And here they are traveling along, and what do you know? In verse number 15, here we go again. It came to pass that while they communed together... And reason. What are you doing that for? You know, you don't have to reason. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to think what in the world happened back there. No, no. All you have to do is remember what he said when he was yet in Galilee. All you have to do is believe what Jesus said. And if you did right about now, you'd be saying, glory to God, glory to God. We got a couple hours left. Today, we're going to see him. Today, he's alive. Today, he's going to meet with us. All you have to do is believe what Jesus said when he was yet in Galilee. But when you reason among yourselves and you're sitting at Starbucks with a cup of coffee trying to figure it all out, this is what happens. And so they're on their way to Emmaus. And in verse number 15, how about this? Jesus himself drew near. And then in verse number 16, their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And you might say, isn't that a little bit cruel? Why would God hold back their eyes so they wouldn't recognize the Lord Jesus? And do you know the reason? Because when they were reasoning amongst themselves, like Peter was doing, like everybody else it seems is doing, when they are reasoning amongst themselves, they are walking by sight and not by faith. And there comes a time when if we're going to decide I'm going to walk by my heart and my sight and my feelings and my encounters and my experiences and not by the truth of the word of God that our eyes get held in back. And God's going to say, fine, let, let's just see how that works. Let's just see how it works when your reasoning is more important than the Bible. So their eyes are holding back. And I got to tell you, in 10,000 years, Cleopas is never going to wish his eyes were holding back. And, and the Bible says Jesus himself drew near. And for the next four verses, you know what happens? And, and look, I don't know if, you know, look, what can I tell you? I grew up halfway between New York and Boston. And, you know, on that part of where we're just cynical people, you know, and we, sarcasm is funny to us. And maybe you don't see it, but I think this is hilarious. You know what I want to see? I want to see the look on Jesus' face as Cleopas starts telling Jesus everything that happened for the last three days. That's all I want. I want to see what, what Jesus' face looks like. Oh, really? That happened? And then what happened? Oh, and then, oh, that happened. Would you just love to see how, well, I mean, what's Jesus doing? Is he laughing at him? Is he smiling with him? Is he just egging him on? I just don't know. But, uh, I mean, whatever. I just want to see the face of Jesus as Cleopas starts telling the Son of God everything that happened over the last three days. And that's what happens when we start reasoning in our hearts. We start thinking we know this better than God does. And we're just going to tell God how he ought to work things out. And so Jesus is listening to all this until verse number 22. And watch this carefully. Yea, certain also of our company made us astonished. Why are you astonished? Jesus kept his word. I mean, you know, that, that should be money in the bank, shouldn't it? And they made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. When they found not his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Can you imagine? Him they saw not. And so now, the Lord Jesus Christ is about ready to rebuke these men. But what I want you to see very carefully in your Bible is that Jesus does not rebuke them for rejecting the experiences of the women. He doesn't. And he doesn't hammer them because they don't believe in an empty sepulcher. And he does not hammer them because you didn't listen to Peter and you didn't listen to John. He did not say, how dare you not believe the visions and the dreams and the experiences and the encounters that these people have had. It's not what he does. You know why the Lord Jesus rebukes them? Look at verse number 25. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart. Uh, that's pretty strong language. Fools and slow hearts. Why? 
Not because you didn't believe what the lady said. Not because you didn't believe the vision. Not because you didn't believe a dream. Not because you didn't believe an experience. But you didn't believe all that the prophets have spoken. And verse number there, ought not, ought not, verse 26. That's a strong Bible way of saying it couldn't have happened any other way. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory. So what is Jesus going to do? Would you notice he doesn't say what you guys need. Stop right now. Took a U-turn. Go back to Jerusalem and go see an empty sepulcher. I didn't say, y'all need to have a vision of angels. I didn't say what you guys need is a dream of your own. He didn't say you need an experience. He didn't say you need an encounter. And he didn't say you need a feeling. You know what he said they needed? The Bible. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Look what Jesus did. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So in verse number 30, when they're finally in Emmaus, it came to pass as they sat at meat with, with him. He took bread, blessed it, break it, gave it to them. And their eyes were open. They knew him and he vanished out of their sights. And all of a sudden they know that was Jesus. That's the risen son of God. They have had an experience of their own. They have seen him. They have talked with him. He has blessed the bread and he has vanished right out of their sights but you know Cleopas is a changed man do you know what changes him you say well come on he had an experience like nobody else I mean he had an encounter with Jesus yeah but look what he said changed his life in verse number 32 they said one to another did not our heart burn within us why when he broke bread no did not our heart burn within us what when he vanished out of your son nope did not our heart burn with us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened unto us the scriptures? The Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Aren't his words enough? Oh, but you say, in the Middle East, all these Muslims, they're getting dreams. And then they're getting dreams. And then they're getting saved. And then, you know, in, in Kentucky, all the religions that believe babies go to heaven because they're baptized gather together and they have a song service. And the next thing you know, there's a revival. But the Bible says... If they believe not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. He said, well, you know, saw a door open up, and somebody from a cemetery in Marysville walks through that door, and a guy who died last month comes here and starts preaching about hell. Ah, believe him. And the Bible tells us that if you're not going to believe the Bible, you wouldn't believe somebody who comes from the dead. Dreams, miracles, signs, wonders, visions, dreams, encounters, feelings aren't his words enough so by now as these two make a beeline back to Jerusalem the roll call of those who have had an experience is really growing isn't it you know the Bible says two at the most three witnesses right two witnesses for a smaller case three witnesses for a big case and every word is established well we've blown that one way out of the water I, I mean we got married to Mother Magdalene Mary Magdalene Mary Mother Joseph Mary Mother James this Mary that Mary the other Mary we got Joanna we got Salome we I mean we got Peter we got John we got Cleopas and the luckiest guy in the Bible we got pretty good collection here I, I mean now we got witness after witness after witness after witness and then in verse number 36, as they, the two Cleopas and the Lucky Sky Bible, as they thus spake, Jesus himself. <laughs> That's going to fix the problem, right? Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and he gives the classic Jewish greeting, peace be unto you. Well, that's going to fix the problem, right? I mean, come on. Now, you know, Peter, you know how Peter is. He's up and down. John's a good guy, but he still is the son of thunder. And, you know, Mary Magdalene, hey, we all know her past. And, you know, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Chusa's a steward. He works in the house of Herod. Can we really trust her? And, and, you know, Cleopas is a good guy, but, okay, forget all that. Jesus himself. Can you imagine if the night before we had snuck back in time and taken a survey, if tomorrow afternoon Jesus himself is standing here, are you going to believe him? You know, they would have said, well, of course we are. Oh, certainly we are. Absolutely, no doubt about it. If Jesus himself is standing here, we're going to believe. Well, Jesus himself stands in the midst of them, said, peace be unto you. And in verse number 37, they were terrified and affrighted. 
Affrighted is terrified on steroids. I mean, it's worse than that. And the Bible says they supposed they had seen a spirit. But wait a minute. He said when he was in Galilee, I will rise again, I'll rise again, I'll rise again, I'll rise again. The most obvious thing in world history has happened. Jesus has done precisely what he said he would do. He did it precisely when he said he would do it. And they think they're looking at Casper here. They are scared to death. So in verse number, this will, okay, I know how to fix the problem. Verse 39, it's going to take care of it now, right? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones. As you, so Jesus says, come on, come on, right, come on, here, shake my hand, come on. A little later, he'd tell Thomas himself, Thomas, take your hand, stick it in my hand. Take your hand, stick it right up into my rib cage. Come on, Thomas, a spirit, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me have. That didn't work. So in verse number 41, he said unto them, have ye here any meat? And you better take a good look in your Bible at verse 42. Just check, check. It says, at least in my Bible, they gave him broiled fish and a honeycomb. Now, I don't know why, but modern Bibles that come from the World Council of Churches, pretty much all of them do, you know, where the scholars wonder, is it God he or God she, that they don't believe the Bible, but they decide to give us all the modern Bibles. You know what they did? I don't even know why. They took an eraser and they erased the honeycomb part. So this may not be the biggest one out there, but in all the modern Bibles, Jesus eats broiled fish. In my Bible, he eats broiled fish and a honeycomb. Brother, you say anything you want, but give me a Bible where you get to have dessert. That's what I say. Right there. So my Savior eats broiled fish and a honeycomb. And in verse number 43, it says, he took it and did eat before them. Is that going to do it? He already said, shake my hand. He already said, handle me and see. Now, Jesus himself eats dinner right in front of their eyeballs. Is that going to get it done? And that's the problem. Because when people are not going to follow the words that Jesus spoke when he was yet in Galilee... Or the Bible says in Romans 10, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing not by our experiences, not by our feelings, not by our favorite blogger, not by our favorite writer, not by what we think or reason. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And by the way, that word hearing is a noun. It's not meaning, okay, I stick the Bible on in the background. No, it means that we intentionally give a hearing to the Word of God. It means you do exactly what you're doing on Sunday night. You're in this place giving a hearing to the Bible as your pastor's preaching. That the Bible is important enough that I carve out time for the Word of God. It is not just a casual religious artifact in my life. The Bible is something that I intentionally give a hearing to. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And if you need something else except the Bible, uh, signs, wonders, miracles, dreams, visions, feelings, encounters, experiences, etc., etc. Look, Jesus, he wasn't kind about this. He said, a wicked and an adulterous generation seeketh after signs. Because the problem is that when somebody says, I need a sign and I need a wonder, do you know what they do? They keep moving the goalposts. It's exactly what happens here. Well, well, if you go and there's angels at the sepulcher saying he is risen, are you going to, oh, of course we'll believe that. Oh, then if you go and see the linen clothes laid by himself, well, of course we're going to believe. And if Cleopas comes back, and, oh, of course we'll believe. And if Jesus himself, well, well, that'll do it. And if Jesus says, handle me and see, and then he eats dinner. You know, all along the way, they said, well, we would believe any of that. And they don't. Do you know why? Because when humans have it on their level, what I want to see, visions, wonders, signs, experiences, encounters, feelings, this, that, and the other thing, you'll never get enough. He said, well, I saw that, but now I need to see this, and then I see that. Now, that's what I said this morning. Jesus, you said, I want God to prove himself to me. Well, he did. He proved his love and that he gave his son to die for you. When somebody gives his son to die for me on a cross to save me from hell, brother, yeah, I'm not, I don't need any more proof than that. No, no I need a healing, and I need a miracle. And I need a sign. And I need a wonder. And you'll never get enough. Aren't his words enough? 
And I got to tell you, I know this is resurrection chapter, and I know we're supposed to be all giddy and all happy, but they weren't giddy and happy back then. They were scared to death, and it was a complete disaster. And, and I mean, this really is. Right here, we get to verse number 44. It is a, an unmitigated disaster. I mean, Jesus has spent three plus years with these guys. He has told them that we know five times, I will rise again, I will rise. He's told them again and again and again. And now when the most obvious thing happens, it's the biggest day ever. They don't believe a word of it. Hey, they wonder what happened. And with Jesus himself is standing right in front of them they still don't believe I mean we got us a real problem here don't we you know remember the story where God said Moses just get out of the way and I'm going to go wipe these people out and, and you know Moses he probably regretted his choice but he said you don't want to do that Lord and, and I got to tell you the Lord if he were to say that on this day he would have had every reason to say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear these people out you mean after all the miracles, after all the sacrifice, after all that's happened, after all the preaching, after all... Nobody believes. Nobody. And worse, the clock is ticking, isn't it? Because we got 40 days, and 40 days Jesus is going to that mountain, and he's going to heaven. And from that day, these same disciples who don't believe a word, it seems, are going to be dispatched into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature, to win people to Christ, to baptize them into a New Testament church, to teach them the whole counsel of God, and then go start churches around the world. And how's this going to happen? And Jesus has got a real emergency on his hands. How do you suppose he's going to fix it? I know. He's, he's going to come up with some cool new technology. Yeah, that, that'll work. He's going to come up with something new. He's going to get a new He's going to have this great new plan. You think? I mean, do you know what Jesus is going to do to correct the problem? It's right there in verse number 44. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you when I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then open ye their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. How did he do that? Verse 46. And said unto them, thus it is written. It was written by Moses. It was written by David. It was written by Isaiah. It was written by Jeremiah. And Jesus said it stands today as it was written then. And not only did it stand then as it was written in days of old, but the entire word of God stands preserved for you and me tonight as it was written back then. Jesus said if we're going to fix the problem, then you guys need Bible, 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 more Bible. Not new experiences. You don't need another vision of angels. You don't need to go take a tour to the empty sepulcher you don't need to have a, a, a dinner you don't need to see vanishing you just need the bible you need to believe what jesus said when he was yet in galilee aren't his words enough see i, I like i said knowing your pastor a long time and bible baptist church you, you've got just a tremendous heritage 50 years of heritage and there's some things that make bible baptist church of marysville what it is and at the top of the list of many things, but number one, is you folks believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And you folks believe that the Bible is preserved Word of God. You believe that the Bible is the perfect Word of God. You believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. You believe that the Bible is the complete Word of God. But, is the Bible enough? Because if it's enough, you don't need signs and wonders and visions and miracles and feelings and experiences and encounters and dreams and visions of angels. Is the Bible enough? I got to tell you, we come to the end of Luke and you just got to say, what a bunch of jokers, except there go I, that's the problem. And you come to the end of Luke and you got to say, this is what Jesus has to show for leaving heaven's glory to go to a cross to die for the sins of the world. There's nobody, I mean, there's nobody, there's not one person who actually believed what Jesus said when he was yet in Galilee. And it'd be awful easy to come to this chapter and say, Peter, all these disciples, they're, they're not one person who believed what Jesus, except there was one. Yeah, there was just one. I think you can only find one person who believed what Jesus said. This person didn't need the miracles. They didn't need signs. They didn't need wonders. They didn't need reasoning. They didn't need experiences. There was one person who believed what Jesus said when he was yet in Galilee. Remember the story 
A few days before Calvary, Jesus goes to the house of a, a man named Simon for dinner. He's called in the Bible Simon the leper. I think we might also call him Simon the former leper, you think? And, and Jesus comes, and of course, of course, it goes without saying, Martha served. Now, i got to tell you, I've heard people give Martha a hard time, and if you want to go right ahead, I never do. I know Mary chose the better thing, but, you know, serving Jesus, that's a pretty good thing to choose, too. And you might want to hammer Martha, have a good time doing it, but I just say, don't rip on Martha with your mouth full. That's what I say. <laughs> so there's Martha serving, and there's Mary doing what Mary, it's not the first time either. She's at the feet of Jesus. You know what she's doing there? Do you know what it says earlier in Luke? She's at the feet of Jesus. Get this. Listening to his words. And now on this particular night, Mary is at the feet of Jesus again, and she takes a pound of ointment, a spikener, an incredible alabaster box that in itself was expensive, and the perfume that is in it comes from the Himalayan mountains. It, the, the Bible, one verse says it's precious, one verse says it's costly, and it's really hard to run exact numbers from then to now, but, but you know, somewhere, if, it, if you were buying this at perfume.com, it set you back about $50,000. And Mary takes this perfume and anoints the head and the body of Jesus. And, and then we don't even appreciate this. It's even more humbling. Mary gets on her face and she takes her hair and, and doesn't just dry the body, but she dries the feet of Jesus. And our American culture thinks that's strange, but Middle Eastern culture says that is humiliating. I mean, Mary has just disgraced and humbled herself, saying he is worthy and I am nothing. So what are the super spiritual giants, a.k.a. the disciples, think of this? Well, we know what Judas said, right? <clears throat> Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pins and given to the pure? And, of course, the Bible shines the light of day on that rat. He couldn't care less for the pure. He was a thief and had the bag. He's a crook. And so we say Judas is going to do what Judas is going to do because he's about to die and go to hell anyway. He's not even saved. But you know what Mark says and Matthew says? That while Judas was going off on his speech, all of the disciples were agreeing with Judas. All these super spiritual giants. <clears throat> Why was not this ointment so? And Jesus I mean, Jesus, you talk about hammering them. You know, we can read the verses, but we can't hear what it sounds like. And Jesus rises up, and man, did he ever hammer them? I mean, what? Well, let her alone. She had done what she could. The Lord Jesus, in no uncertain terms, is putting it right back in the nozzles of these guys. How dare you? And then Jesus explains. What Mary has done, he said, first of all, is going to speak as a memorial to her. A memorial. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about her. What she has done is going to be a memorial because she has anointed my body for the burial. You know, we look at Mary, $50,000. I mean, well, that was incredibly lavish. What a sacrificial gift. And then we watch her humble herself. What a humble gift. And while of that is true, make no mistake about it, that is extremely true. But you know what rises above everything else? is that night Mary anointed Jesus' body for the burial. You know, when you do the roll call of all the Marys that showed up on Sunday morning, Mary the mother Joseph, Mary the mother James, Mary Magdalene, this Mary, that Mary, every other Mary shows up, there is one Mary who is, shall we say, conspicuous by her absence. Mary of Bethany didn't show up. You know Why? because she had already anointed his body for the burial. She didn't have to bring spices and perfumes. She had already done that. And do you know why she had done it nights earlier? Do you know why? Do you know why? Because she knows if I follow custom, and if I wait three days and three nights, and then I go to the sepulcher, and I anoint the body of Jesus, Mary of Bethany is the only one who knows he won't be there. And do you know how she knew he wouldn't be there? Because she was at his feet listening to his words. For Peter, for Joseph, all the rest of those jokers, his words weren't enough. They needed visions and dreams and encounters and dinners and experiences and feelings. And, 
and it still didn't work. But there was one lady who sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his words. She heard what Jesus said when he was yet in Galilee. And for Mary of Bethany, his words were enough. There's words enough tonight. You know, if you're not saved, you need to come by the word of God. You say, well, if I see this, if I see that, if I hear this, if I hear that, if I... No, no, you'll never get saved. You'll die and go to hell one day. You won't believe somebody who comes out of the dead. If you're not going to listen to the Bible, if you're not going to come by the way of the word of God, if you're not going to do what Jesus did, I said to do, search the scriptures. If you want eternal life, you will never have eternal life. And tonight, if you don't know from the Bible how to go to heaven, my friend Pastor Brown wants to have somebody sit down with you in the scriptures and you can see for yourself how a sinner like me can have eternal life. Now tonight, if you know Christ as your Savior, look, I I know, I know, a good church, Sunday night church. I know you believe the Bible. And I know you love the Bible. Now most of us in this room got dozens of Bibles for ourselves and we even got them on our phones. And that's all good. But is the Bible enough? Because if the Bible's enough, then we don't need a feeling and we don't need an experience and we don't need an encounter and we don't need a dream and we don't need a vision and we don't need a blogger and we don't need the latest, the newest, the coolest. We don't need anything else. All we need to do is wake up tomorrow morning and, okay, get a cup of coffee. I'll say that for your pastor. And then sit in a chair and open up the Bible, you and your Bible, me and my Bible. And that's all we need. Is the Bible enough or do you need something else father in heaven i pray tonight that the mighty word of god would find its way into the heart and soul of bible baptist church and lord the people here tonight love you and they love to serve the lord there they honor god with their lives with their givings with their time with their energy and and yet lord i would pray you would help us understand that that we can literally be a disciple of jesus christ someone could literally follow him for years and yet not believe what he said. I pray that tonight you'd bring great conviction in this place, and for somebody that's been, been, been letting the day start with the Bible on the shelf, may you convict them. For somebody who needs to return to a Bible memory program, would you convict them tonight? And Maybe a daddy needs to come to this altar and start, or maybe restart a family altar. Lord, I pray that tonight you would find in Bible Baptist Church a people that are grounded in the words of God that the Bible would be enough. I wonder before I finish praying if someone tonight would say, I don't have salvation according to the Bible. Preacher, I need you to pray for me. And tonight, I need Brother Brown to help me. I want to know how the Bible says I can have eternal life. Is there somebody like that? If you'd slip your hand up, I'd love to pray for you. We'd like to help you from the Bible tonight. Because if you want eternal life, Jesus said, go to the Bible, go to the Bible. Somebody like that tonight. Father, we give the invitation to you and ask you to do a work a preacher cannot do. We come in the great name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Would you stand together with me prayerfully tonight? And of course, if you need to be saved, the preacher meets you here. But, but this altar tonight is a great place for a child of God to say, I'm the one who needs a revival of a love for the Bible. Back to reading the Bible, studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible, living by the Bible. I need a revival of a love for the Word of God. This altar is a great, great place to join these tonight and say, Lord, give me a new, a fresh, a wonderful love for the Word of God. Would you come tonight as we play that verse for you?